Sterling Silver Premium Meats are high-quality beef cuts, perfectly marbled and graded high-end AAA. Let your culinary mastery shine brighter than ever using Sterling Silver. Visit centennialfoodservice.com for details. Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Michael Blackie to our Table Talk podcast. Michael has been cooking for more than 30 years on three different continents. He's worked at some of the world's finest hotels, including the Windsor Arms Hotel in Toronto and the Oberoi in Bali, an exclusive five-star property voted the world's best boutique resort by leading hotels of the world in 2002. He was also listed on, it was also listed on Condé Nast Hot List, while he was present. Michael has also held the position of executive sous chef and acting chef at the prestigious and world-renowned Mandarin Oriental in Hong Kong, China. In 2003, Michael returned to Canada and was the opening chef at the Brook Street Hotel in Ottawa, which after just three months under his leadership was awarded the prestigious four diamond rating from CAA for both its rooms and its restaurant. In 2009, Michael joined the National Arts Center as its executive chef and director of F&B. And in 2013, Michael developed and opened his first signature food and beverage operation in the West End of Ottawa called Next. It was quickly recognized for its innovative cuisine, along with its sharing dining menu concept, which has consistently maintained it as one of the top signature restaurants in the greater Ottawa region. It's my pleasure to welcome to Table Talk, Chef Michael Blackie. Hello. Thank you. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good, thank you. That was a wonderful introduction and a a blast from the past, of course, of all the places I've been over these years. Well, it's a wonderful introduction because you've done so many wonderful things and you've done so many different things. And we want to touch on that today. So I thought maybe that would actually be a good place to start. Just a little bit about your background Obviously, it's very diverse, and you've won, you know, you've had a lot of international renown as well. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit how you started in the industry and, and what has led you to where you are today. Well, my, my, uh, my family originally from Montreal did the exodus in 1980, came to Toronto. My father uh, was uh, an engineer working for Pratt Whitney Aircraft Canada in uh, the uh, Toronto region up near the airport. And uh, living in Oakville and growing up as a young young boy and going to high school, I I have to tell you one of the things that I did. I wasn't a baseball player, I wasn't a football player, and I wasn't a soccer player. Even though my brother and father were, I was actually with my mom in the basement watching the Galloping Gourmet. <laughs> um, you know. Graham Kerr, I remember him well. Right. And like Bruno Gerussi, uh, you know, a famous of the Beachcombers, I would watch his shows. And of course, Julia Child and just all PBS and all these great shows. And I was always attracted to them. And I have to I have to also 
get you to understand here that my mom was Irish, my dad was Scottish. So meals sometimes at our house back in the 70s and leading up to the 80s were sometimes, you know, if they were really memorable and amazing, <laughs> my father would be like, get that in you because you'll never see it again. Because one cool thing about my mom was she was a scratch cook. She never followed a recipe. It was very entertaining. So either it was a complete success or it was a shattering flop, you know, but a lot more successes than flops. And I always grew inspiration from the way she kind of took that approach. Um, naturally for me, hospitality was a natural jump in. I worked at various locations throughout Oakville growing up young. I'm talking like, you know, 14, 15, up as I started to make my way, I was going to go to mechanical engineering school. I actually went for to Humber for about six months, dropped out, came home in tears. And my mother looked at me and she's like, right, are you going to be a chef now? And <laughs> I, she was, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to do what I love. And, and, you know, lo lo love it. I have, um, I cannot believe that, you know, it's now, on my 33rd year in this career, um, traveled the world extensively. Um, I was very fortunate to work with Maktuit and Michael Bonaccini in Toronto. And this is back at the Windsor Arms days right. before it was closed, uh, when the four, uh, Three Seasons Room, um, you know, the Courtyard Cafe with John Ferreira, um, a lot of incredible characters went through there. Uh, People refer to it as the golden era of Toronto. I, I was just this young kid who really didn't know his left foot from his right, his right hand. And uh, <laughs> chefs kind of molded me and formed me into uh, definitely the, I can lean back and say that my repertoire is based on a lot of these things these gentlemen uh, taught me. And, uh, and it was an incredible time. Um, I traveled extensively. I mean, after Windsor Arms, you know, I went down to the Sky Dome. If you remember Sky Dome, we had uh, the Founders Club. Yes. And then I really, I, I'd always, because my parents were from the UK and we traveled a lot as young children, my brother and I, I have one brother, we uh, really were adamant. I was always adamant about the travel bug. And the reason why I got in the hospitality sector was because people always need to eat. And they're always going to want to be treating each other, spoiling each other. So mm -hmm. there's always going to be a restaurant somewhere in the world. So what better career to get into than cooking and being a chef? And that led me to the Windsor Arms, which was very, uh, sorry, Windsor, the Western Harbor Castle, which was very strategic. I felt that if I worked for a big hotel chain, I would get an opportunity to jump outside of the country at a management level. That makes sense. And the travel bug is in a lot of chefs, isn't it? Because that's really what motivates you and in, in, in the early days anyway. Yeah, in the early days. And even now, I mean, like, you know, last year, just before the pandemic shut down, shut everything down, I wasn't even in my restaurant. I was triaging my restaurant from a beach in Thailand at a resort. I had was on my 25th wedding anniversary and I was traveling extensively through. I remember Vietnam. seeing that on social media. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's like every year I have to go somewhere. Um, last year it was a bit of a spoil. I did Costa Rica and, and um, Vietnam and Thailand. And, you know, it was this very special year. It's our 25th wedding anniversary, but more importantly, it's the exposure um, as you grow, as you mature in life, it, it's, it becomes harder to be 
not so much inspired or to be captured and embraced by new new ideas and concepts. And and when I say that, I'm not talking about like fundamental changes in food. I'm talking about the bare bone basics. I'm talking about like being in a fishing village in Vietnam and watching a guy take a spotted garupa and do something to it that you were not expecting. You know, and it, it's that those are the kinds of things that really kind of root me as an individual, as a person in terms of my favorite profiles, what I what I enjoy the most. So it really opens you up to different approaches and different uh, outlooks for food and, and really teaches you a lot of new things, I would imagine. Oh, like Vietnam was epic. Uh, I, I was not expecting that. I didn't really have an expectation. It completely crushed any idea what I thought it was going to be. And I just kind of leaned into it. Uh, you know, that that really was fundamental. So um, so just to step back. Yeah. So Windsor Arms to the Westin. The Westin got me down to Latin America to my first expat post where I worked in uh, Acapulco, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I worked for, at the time, the Pierre, the Pierre Marquez group, which was fundamentally picked up by Canadian Pacific, who in turn, Canadian Pacific picked up Fairmont. Fairmont, new- right. Right. And so it was funny because I'll always remember William Fat coming down. Uh, the president at the time of the company came down to meet us all as a team. And he came into the kitchen as he was touring the Pierre Marquez. And he's like, wow, look at how organized we are. I say, we already got a Canadian chef in the kitchen. And I looked at him, I said, actually, Mr. Fat, it's um, uh, the Mexicans hired me (laughs) two years. He's like, oh, well, he's like, I say, you must have a lot of great stuff to share about your exposure to the culture. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can speak Spanish. And I never thought that would have happened that I would have picked up a second language. So Amazing. that was like, that was like of, of all the experiences I had, each one has a precious part in my life and holds a very special moment for me. You know, whether it was, you know, working in Mexico thereafter, four years later, I went to Hong Kong. I worked in Hong Kong. Um, I was fortunate to become not only the acting executive chef, but I was the expat executive sous chef. Um, and there's a lot of layers to that kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, that kitchen there, we had nine outlets. We had 130 chefs in the kitchens. That's you huge. Know, you compare to like Pierre Marquez, low season 20, high season 70, very much a seasonal kind of operation, right? Um, and then um, to end up being leaving uh, Mandarin Oriental Hong Kong and going to Bali, uh, being there for the bombing in Bali, a boutique hotel now, Oberoi, incredible, incredible experience, got to entertain and meet a huge isle of mine, Kofi Annan, United Nations, when he was, uh, he arrived for the independence of East Timor. Um, and that was so cool. You know, I, I actually went to his room to do the room service order and Kofi looked at me and he's like, are, are you from Toronto? And I was like, what? <laughs> How would he know that? He knew from my accent. You're kidding. Like, really? He's like, yes. He's like, he's like, would I be bold enough to say maybe Oakville? I'm like, get out of here. Really? And uh, yeah, that was, that was a special moment. Him and his wife, you know, I mean, 
Uh, we've lost Kofi. He's now gone, but that made a huge impression on me, what he was doing and the, and the challenges he was going through at that time. Um, you know, the bombing in Bali uh, changed my life. I went from plus 40 to minus 40 in the span of 40 days. And, wow. uh, you know, I originally came back to Oakville uh, as I did some um, prospecting and looking throughout the Canadian area, uh, Canada itself. I didn't really want to go back on the market again, the international market. I had been doing it for six years. My children were born, both Annabelle and Lane were born in Mexico. So it was kind of like, yeah, maybe we just settle down and um, and that's when um, Brook Street presented itself back in right. 2003. And, you know, the mandate was really great. Um, general manager at the time, Patrice Basil, that's right. uh, opened with me. Um, we had very much common ideas about, uh, and we really energized off of each other. He had come from Fiji. Uh, I had come from Bali, worked Southeast Asia. So, you know, when we would talk food, we were we were like Bill and Ben, the garbage men, the way we talked. We just resounded so much positive, uh, uh, creative ideas regarding the, and what I loved about Patrice was like, so no sandwiches on the buff on the banquets, right? We're not putting that on. <laughs> and he's like, no, why would we do that? And I'm like, you know, so. So you were on the same wavelength with Patrice. Way, huge same wavelength. It was a pleasure working with him. I was there for six. And then I bounced from there to the National Arts Center as and what you'll quickly discover about me is that, you know, it's more than a chef role now for me, uh, where I am in my point of my career. Um, sh chefing is obviously fundamental. It is the heart, the corazón of the, of the operation, but it's not the end all. Um, the service is a huge component of it. And I really, as I, because I've been in this career for such a long time, I developed myself into more of a chef and beer. And that's when I went to the National Arts Center and ran the entire operation, uh, gave it one of its best financial years ever on record as Fabulous. a corporation and, you know, changed it fundamentally um, in terms of the way the cuisine was perceived and the, the you know, because it all starts with, you know, doing everything from scratch, I think is what you always hear from a lot of chefs, right? It's got to sure. be from scratch. And, uh and then, and then it was time for me to take a change. Uh, I've been here at Next now since 2013. It's a completely independent operation, 11,000 square feet. The crazy thing I need to share with you is that when I opened this and I took this facility on, it was pre-existing this building. Everybody was like, what's he doing? <laughs> He's going out to suburbs. He's going- We thought you were West nuts. Bed. Yeah. Everybody, yeah, well, I mean, some people wouldn't like reach out and say that, but I kind of had the impression and, and also some people obviously connected with me. They're like, yeah, the word on the street is you've lost your marbles. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, I made my I made my name in Ottawa in the West End at Brook Street, which is actually a hotel in the suburbs. That's right. And, you know, I didn't really felt that the puzzle would fit better. I also um, have a lot of challenges and you've seen that not just in Ottawa, you see that across the country, a lot of hospitality professionals are struggling with rents, prevailing costs in a downtown core setting. Especially um, these days. Yeah, and, and, and you know, every penny counts and it always has counted in this industry, but this just looked like a formula that just couldn't fail. I will give kudos to my wife, Jillian, who, who even when I was doubting it, she's like, honey, 
it didn't matter where you cooked. They always flock to you. It will not matter here either. They will flock to you. And I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, <laughs> you, she's like you just make great food and you watch. They'll come. And she, and she was right. She, she was right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a little bit of a heavy lift. It took us about a year and a half to realize the revenues that I'd forecasted for the operation. Um, but that all kind of came into click. I would say... Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that adage, you know, when you get to your 50s, you're at the happiest point you are in your life. I, I'd have to agree with that based on where I am right now and what I'm That's doing. That's great. This is a, a, this is a, a very special um, situation that I have set up. Um, I, I'm able to do things that in the past might not have gotten approved. The great thing about the approval process with me is that the buck stops with me. So if I mess something up, I only have myself to blame if it doesn't work through. Right. Um, I, of course, you know, I have an incredible supportive team of both front and back of the house. Uh, we've gone through a lot of changes in this last year. Um, some of it has been hard. Um, some of it has been easier. Um, but, you know, I think one of the fundamental things why my success and the success of next has come around through this pandemic has been based on my past. Um, I survived a hurricane in uh, Acapulco, Mexico. Right. That was really tough. I mean, our property and our city was destroyed because of it. Um, we survived uh, 9-11 in Hong Kong, my wife and I. Uh, it ended up having us I actually laid myself off, if you can believe that. The GM came to me and he's like, what are we going to do, Blackie? We need to get rid of 20 cooks. And I was like, well, why don't we take out eight and me? He's like, you what? offered that up. That's amazing. Yeah. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like I, I know what my compensation is. I know what the number is. Like, you know, my acting exec, well, the true executive chef Rudy, Rudy Blattler, who used to be the chef at the Western Harbor Castle. I remember him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's corporate executive chef for Ritz Carlton now based out of Jakarta. Yeah. It's a small world, but you know, I remember Rudy, he was trapped in Canada, couldn't get back. And, and, you know, that was, I think um, it was a wonderful sacrifice in terms of the fact that it got me to the Island of a thousand gods, Bali, which I'd always wanted to work. I had two main countries in my life. I wanted to work as a chef. Hong Kong and Bali. You and know, you did both. And I managed to get them. Oh, yeah. Like I remember when I got the job and before even Rudy got back to, from Canada during 9-11, he's like, so I hear you already landed a job, Blackie. And I'm like, yeah, chef, I got the Thousand Islands. Oh, ridiculous. How do you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. It just <laughs> kind of happened, you know. But I think the fundamental key lessons that I got from that because remember, the bombing in Bali was two and a half miles away from where I worked and lived. Our tourism in Bali went from its best year ever. The hotel that I was at, again, you said at the beginning of this intro, Conrad Nass, we won awards, prestigious awards. The property was packed. Things were grand. It went from a million miles an hour to zero kilometers, zero miles an hour within the span of 48 hours. So realistically, you really had some good grounding and some crisis management. Yes. And that's probably stood you in some very good stead um, during this past year with COVID. Uh, How has that played out for you? I mean, obviously, everybody's impacted by it one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, And you've been doing such a great job at Next 
you know, prior to COVID, what did you have to, uh, how did you have to change everything that you were doing? And, and almost overnight, I would imagine. Right. Well, you know, I was laying off employees on the phone from a beach in Bali, ended up coming home a week early. We shut. Oh, our you did that right from Bali. Wow. Uh, not Bali, sorry, from Thailand, from, oh, from uh, Thailand, from, yeah. Krabi, from Krabi. I was in Krabi at a resort there and I was doing it right from there uh, that we basically laid off people because we didn't really understand the rules of engagement back then. Right. It's like, OK, I don't you know, if I lay you off, sure, you can go collect on insurance. But how does it work? Like CERB wasn't quite set up yet, mm -hmm. were, like moving so fast. But we knew that, you know, there was nothing left um, in terms of running the business the way it was. I, I have to share with you, I was being exposed to so much PPE and protocol. I was blown away from the moment I landed in Vietnam. By the time I got to Krabby, I was like on my team, specifically Dale, Barbara, and Matt. And I'm like, guys, you need to go get PPE. You need to get masks. You need to get temperature guns. You need to do press. And they're like, uh, I don't think I don't think Ottawa's ready for this, chef. And I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> And then they'd be and like, well, we can't even, supplies. yeah. And then they were like, we can't even get the supplies. So yeah. I actually brought back a suitcase full of supplies. Oh, you're kidding. I brought back all, cause you could get it everywhere. It was no problem. Just anywhere. here. <laughs> yeah. But just here, right. That, so it was like a lot of stuff. So we did the close down like everybody did. We shut down, we shut down for a month. I reached out to my team. In fact, just as I got back, I landed in Montreal around March the 18th 19th i think it was actually the 20th with the time shift because it's a huge flight but when i landed i'd already organized that my executive chef with my other two managers that we would build um uh survival kits i know that maybe sound a bit extreme but literally what we did was we evaluated what was in the pantries of our kitchens at next and we built these kits and we gave a kit to every team member we built approximately 50 of these kits um, in turn, my partner also did the kits for her business. She has a secondary business. So we built another 60 kits for her business as well. And it was like basic sundries from rice, oil, you know, canned tuna, sugar, butter. Because you had so much food left over that you couldn't use. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, we were, again, I think like most people in hospitality, 2019 was a was my best year yet mm -hmm. in the six years we've been running so we were coming off of a pretty good high so it wasn't like i was driving into a pandemic with an empty tank right. i was in a, i was in a good driving position i had money in the bank i had cash on hand so i was able to kind of weather the storm i put together a quick strap plan to basically launch strictly takeout now i have to say rosanna up until that point takeout was like nada you weren't doing much. any right i mean your restaurant we, wouldn't be into takeout i basically that. said to public look if you want to do takeout with us no problem we'll take 20 25 percent off the bill right because you're going to pay the same price as you would in the restaurant but we're going to take 25 percent of the bill because you're not you're, you're not experiencing service so that's how we did it it was a pretty much just a stopgap. it worked well it filled the it filled the need but then it's like you know, we get together mid-April and as a team, we sit down and we're like, okay, reevaluate packaging, reevaluate the way we package. Okay, sauces have to be separated, colds and bags, hots and bags. You can't pack hot and cold together. Like simple, basic mm -hmm. things that 
a takeout, any takeout facility does strongly as a fine dining or formal dining room, you're like, okay, we have to really, really evaluate this stuff. You know, we tried, you know, successes and failures. I would say the most impressive thing was that when we opened that first weekend and we set up our own online ordering system, um, very tight with the people that uh, set up my website, my webmasters. So they were able to give me a solution and they're like, oh yeah, 48 hours back, I'll have you up and running. You can fill it out yourself. We did that, we were up and running. The most impressive thing was that first Saturday we opened up, we did $10,500 worth of takeout that night. Are you serious? Wow. We don't we do not do that on a regular night for the restaurant, right? And for the listeners to understand what Next is about, we're a casual dining room facility, which is approximately four and a half thousand square feet. We're also an event facility. That event facility is 7,000 square feet. Oh, that's how you get the 11. Okay, I wondered, because that's very large space. Right, so you're talking uh, the, the event space. I have a wedding every weekend. Every you know, weekend? Every weekend I have a wedding. I mean, camera, you know, my camera's on here, but behind me, you can see, like I have folders up on the wall. I'm very much a visual person. I guess that's the chef in me. I like to see all the events that are coming for the rest of the year. Um, and, you know, so we had that challenge to deal with as well, right? All of our brides and grooms were no longer going to be able to host their weddings. That's and, right. And so we lost, how much of that did we lose? We probably refunded about three or four. Every single other bride and groom that has moved from last year to this year, they all got it. They were all good. Like some of them, it was just the ones that had to cancel, you know, personal reasons and justifiable reasons, you know, that, that they did that. So it worked out for the best as it's considered, but the core of the business to slide back to it, where it stands right now is very, very different from what it was before. I mean, takeout, it, it, we, we took it one step further, the curbside service. Not only did you pull up to the building, there was pylon cones outside. And when you pulled up to these cones, there would be an attendant outside. You'd give your name or your four digit code and we'd bring the food right outside to you, right? Like I wouldn't let anybody in my building. That's how hyper paranoid I was at the beginning when, when we started. That makes sense. Oh yeah. And you know, um, I have to be honest with you. We tried Uber Eats. We tried skip the dishes. Um, it didn't last long. It, it, you know, and why is that? Well, you know, I, my margins are pennies, you know, you know, there's, I really had serious doubts to begin with. Um, sometimes you need to listen to your guests. And it was funny because people would show up. It's like, oh, chef, I, you know, they're in their car, right? And I'm standing outside delivering their food. And they're like, chef, I see you're doing curbside. You're doing delivery with Uber Eats. Uh, wow. I have to say I'm surprised. I didn't think you would do that. I'm like, well, you got to give everything a go. You can't right. just discount it. I said, you know, maybe the formula works and I'm not seeing something here. And, you know, aside from... Aside from the fact that from a financial standpoint, it did not work for me because of the margins that I deal with, the bigger fundamental issue for, for me was letting go at that time during a pandemic, my food, that I have done everything in my power 
to make it as safe as possible through all PPE, through all the procedures, running a full HACCP kitchen and putting my food into a, somebody, a third party's hands and not knowing what happens to it from the moment it leaves my building to the moment it gets to the house gave me too many of a restless night. And ultimately that was my, my that was my main, one of my fundamental reasons why I just said, I can't do it anymore. Right. It, it's too static. I need it to be a bit more flexible and I need there to be more accountability, right? It's not enough for a corporation to say to me, all our drivers are going to wear PPE. All our drivers are going to do this. All our drive. Like, mm, it's not really what I'm seeing. So it, 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 so that it was, was safer in your mind to do it yourself. And the other thing too, Rosanna is I live in the suburbs, so I'm where everybody is right. during this pandemic. Right. I yes. have a unique set that I have a I have a set my location is my benefit whereas like a lot of the restaurants even here in Ottawa in the downtown core their location is not location location anymore the location is where are all the people and all the people are in the suburbs and you know interesting in Toronto and you're seeing it hugely in Ottawa, I mean, there was a house that went for sale on my on my neighborhood on my street for 1.2 million last week, and it there's no inventory like it is in Toronto. Ottawa was always known as an insulated blanket blanket government town where mm -hmm. you know, prices went up, but it was nothing crazy, and like it's totally out so of it's control. exploded. And it's exploded because everybody wants to get out of the downtown cores, right? Isn't and that incredible when you think of the switch, right? it's a huge switch to see this kind of change up. And, and so for all those people that thought I was mad, hi, <laughs> still here. <laughs> so the curbside worked and obviously they can do the takeout with, with the curbside yeah. and the weddings got canceled in the first while have they returned? Like what, what's happening? Are some of those returning for later in the year? I guess it's too problematic because you don't really know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, like currently right now, um, the with with the way everything's going, and I've been pretty good. I mean, I have to say my my team are almost like it's like you have a crystal ball, chef. You almost know when the countdown. Like I shut down at Christmas on December the twentieth. The city itself closed down a couple of days later. But so you kind I of already, predicted what was going to happen. Kind of knew. Well, you could just see it. I mean, and yeah. you know, you can I'm feel on the floor. it. I'm on the floor. I'm talking to guests. I can see when the public is rattled. And, you know, like a week and a half ago, I was starting to feel it again. I'm like, wow, we've only been open two weeks and over people are starting to freak out that we're going to shut down again. Um, but I, you know, to get back to your question with regarding the events and the bookings with a count of only 50 allowed in your building, we're currently not doing any events. We're just reserving that strictly for the restaurant sure. because we can sell it out right last week every day was 50 or more no problem that's incredible and, and that's great to see that will it sustain through this takeout is dropping um in in-house dining is increasing the one nifty thing that's coming about from all of this and I may as well segue into it is this global tables phenomena that we started back in October last year. That looks um, pretty cool. Tell us about yeah. that. So the inspiration is actually not a hundred percent mine. Uh, Visa infinite dining series. Oh which yes. You're aware of mm -hmm. does their program across 
across the country. And I got a shout out in October from Paul Aslop, who basically had indicated to me, hey, we're doing this program. We make a video, you showcase food, slap it all together. We approach it to our Visa Infinite subscribers. He's like, we sell out every time. I'm like, okay, what are we talking? So I'll like 70. I'm like, I could do 200 if you want. He's like, what? Really? And I'm like, yeah, let's like, let's go, let's think big. Right. And you know, I, I am a volume guy when I want to be. And, um, some of this, so we did that with him and it was huge and it was quick. It was fast. Uh, we did it on a midweek and it went in out and it was, and it was incredible. And it kind of left me with, okay, how can I take that idea, incorporate what I was already going to do global tables for 2020. I was doing the concept of different countries across the world because- Oh, isn't that funny? I already had it. So it was like, okay, I got global tables. Let's do global tables at next. So we did one at next because we'd opened up briefly and I managed to do two before things got really tight in terms of the 50 count. So we did, we did a Mexico and we did uh, one other, I believe it was Germany. So we managed to do two and then things shut down. But again, you listen to the public and the guests are like, what are you doing about global tables, Blackie? Like, are you gonna, are you gonna do it at home? And what I did was the very first one, which was for Germany, it was a quick turnaround it was basically two months after we did it in the building, I turned around and took Germany and made it into a at-home experience. I had my son do the videoing for me. Just the videos were great that, that I've seen. They were really well done. Right. But if you go look at video one, which is Germany, that's my son. Now, Liam did a fantastic job. We did the video in my house, at my kitchen. And, you know, I used my own home chinaware and I tried to make it as approachable and accessible for people at home. It really is one third cooking, but mostly assembly. We pretty much present you with the food, aside from like things that are quick to cook, like a tortilla, a piece of fish, a schnitzel, everything is like stews are all done, right? You're not gonna be making duck confit and there's no right. meat or anything wacky going yeah. on. We're trying to incorporate an experience that'll be entertaining based on a food from a different part of the world. And that was the game changer. We did Germany. We sold a hundred kits. People were flying back with the emails. Oh my gosh. I, I had the best night so far in 2020. Thank you so much. Chef Black. That's incredible. Right. So you're like, Oh, and then I had a friend of mine, Matt West reach out to me. Uh, Matt West uh, were is a, uh, video producer um, works with worked with Chris Knight Enterprises. Also, uh, recently was involved with um, um, like he's done so many shows. Matt West, I've known him for years. Like Cook Like a Chef, License to Grill, mm -hmm. you name him. So much stuff he's produced uh, and well did the camera work and did the directing for. Um, so what was interesting is he reaches out. He says, "See what you're doing. Got a bit of time." wondering if you want to have a chat. So Matt and I got together and we went through it and he's like, let's do one. And I'm like, okay, well, the next one coming up is France. He's like, I can do the teasers for you. You just set yourself up where you want Blackie. And I, you know, you're great for the camera. We'll make this work. I'm like, okay. And literally 
it's all been a history after that. We've been putting them together once every week, every Saturday. Uh, we just did Thailand. Um, sorry, we just did Mexico last weekend. That was 101 kits. Now, to quantify that for you, each quit kit is for two people. Each kit I sell, again, seven courses, two little bites, two canapes, a bottle of wine, two cocktails, a full instructional virtual video through YouTube to walk you through it, plus a printed menu, all packed into a box, 235.80 each box. I sold 102 last Saturday. That is incredible. So you've done three so far, Michael, or more? Uh, we've done seven. Seven. And um, so you do it every weekend? We do it every weekend. Valentine's is where it got totally out of control. We did it for the two days on the weekend. We sold 400 kits. That's for 800. Incredible. And, and they're priced I, at 235 for two people. For two people, yeah. So when you start to do the math, especially the Valentine's weekend, I think the most entertaining thing at the end of the night when we dropped the last box is I looked at my wife, Jillian, who's my sales director, and I'm like, Jill, is there any takeout for Wednesday? She's like, no, perfect. I'm going to cancel it. We're going to take the day off. <laughs> and the team are like, seriously, chef? And I'm like, why not? That was incredible. I've never done that kind of revenue on a Valentine's weekend. That is amazing. So are you so doing them um, supplemental to what you're still doing with the takeout? So people will still come in through the week for their curbside pickup or for the in-room. And then on the weekend you're doing it or is it done differently? So Saturday, this past Saturday, when we did Mexico, we had the 102 pickups. People start picking up those kits at four o'clock. Those pickups go all the way through until 5.30. The restaurant opens at five. The takeout opens at 4.30. It's pretty cold outside. Yes. We put these boxes up outside and we stack them up on six foot tables. You've not been to Next, but the way the building's built, the front entrance, you drive up to it, it kind of has a bit of a takeout feel to it, uh -huh. like a drive-through takeout situation. So we give our guests enough information that when they pull up, they pull up to a pylon, and I'm standing there in the cold, and I'm like, what's your pickup code? 4862, thank you very much. Two takeout boxes. Have access to the video. Yeah, enjoy your vacation in Mexico, and off they go. What a fabulous idea. And, and right. the fact is, you don't have to deliver. Like, people are picking it up themselves. So you're saving all of those commission fees that everybody complains about. You're yeah. giving people a reason to be excited about something different because of the video and the theme of the, the city or destination. Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win on, on all fronts. It sounds like a fabulous, uh, innovative new concept. Yeah, and, it, and it's definitely something that I believe is here to stay um, because we are still selling them. Vietnam is this weekend. We just passed 70 kits. We're preparing for 85 kits. Vietnam, I think, is a little outside the cusp for some people. Mexico is like totally identifiable for mm -hmm. people going on to. So, but I had so much fun. And you know, like the- You look like it. I watched the video and it looked like you were having a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, you know, those are, those, I think that's, you know, that's been a very positive influence. You know, my my hat's off to the team at uh, Visa Infinite for reaching out to me and kind of giving me the catalyst and then taking some of my, some of the creativity that I'm doing in the operation and kind of building upon that to make this a reality. Uh, 
I think it would be just grand to see that kind of populate across the country. Um, you know, I think about so many operations that are and friends of mine that are struggling right now. Mm -hmm. I'm originally a Toronto boy. So, you know, my heart goes out to the to all the restauranters that have been going through such a difficult time. It's horrible. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've kind of gotten away with a lot, I think, in Ottawa, considering all said and done. Um, I've made it through 20. I personally, professionally feel that this is going to continue until the new year. You know, I don't really foresee it letting up very much. It's going to be a lot for our health community, uh, health um, officials to release these counts. I mean, in Toronto, you guys aren't even out of, into the exactly. We're yet. still, and there's talk of another wave, right? You never know. So right. So it's like I'm fully vested, and I have to tell you, people that come through to pick up these meals, these global tables, the a lot of I now coin them as um, drive dates. Mm -hmm. It's a couple in the car and they're coming. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. But when they pull up, they're like, just because things are opening up, I hope you're not going to let this go, chef. This has like been so fundamental for us during this pandemic to keep things fresh and entertaining. But it's just such a great, different, new way to enjoy a Saturday night. And, you know, I, I think we have to tap our hat off to all these companies out there that are doing these meal at home kit designs. Right. But I'm trying to take it to another level that, you know, with the idea, like you get the seven plus the canapes, the cocktails and everything else. And I think it really has a lot of huge merit as we move forward through this pandemic for the rest of this year. So Michael, do you think when the day comes that this pandemic is over, whenever that is, do you think you'll still continue this? Absolutely. I mean, it's nothing, nothing better than serving a hundred people at two thirty, a hundred kits, right? There's nothing better than making 25 G's before the building even opens up for dinner. Amazing. That, yeah. that, that's, that's no brainer. That's a game changer. I mean, 25 K for me is that's a wedding. So it's been a great substitution of revenue, right? I've switched two hands to make it that same hand still work in our P and L. And that is huge. I, I also grow a lot of inspiration from my accountant who I'll say, I'll, I'll reach out and say, how are we doing? Like, is there any red flags? And she's like, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about this. And, and Laura's always like, I don't have any doubt, Michael, just keep doing your thing. You're good. That's fabulous. And that's great. Right. If you have a really good bookkeeper who can keep you focused, if you're a creative individual, such as myself, then, then you can just keep bouncing along doing other things. I mean, we, uh, we've tried a lot of things through the pivoting, you know, I was just going to ask you, have you done anything else that would warrant of interest for others? Mm -hmm. Well, we did the ghost restaurant last year. We did a concept called Dirty Burger. We ran that until the summer kind of kicked in hard. And that would have been like end of April, ran it through till about just into the June, mid-June. I think it was almost third week of June. I stopped it because of a branding confusion. Mm. It wasn't really a revenue solution issue for us that it wasn't bringing enough money. It was more like uh, fundamentally what was happening was, and you're going to love where the story ends up when I get there, but the fundamental issue was people were coming to the patio. We opened a patio again, that's an illegal structure pre pandemic that was allowed. Thankfully, you know, with all the rules and regulations, they allowed us to do that. So that was great because you could see a third of people only wanted to come into the building here in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Also wanted to go to the patio. And 
the problem was that I didn't relaunch my Sunday brunch boards. Uh, I do this Sunday brunch on one piece of wood. It's 17 items, $37 per person, unlimited juice, coffee for two people, right? 37 per person. It's huge. We do 100, 120 every Sunday brunch. When the pre when the pandemic was active and we started opening up the takeout and then we opened up the restaurant and I had Dirty Burger running, it's like, okay, forget Sunday brunch. Let's just do a limited combo of Dirty Burger and the restaurant. And then I got that one-star review that's like, I didn't come for your dirty burger. I didn't come for a burger. I came for your brunch buffet. Your and and when I say buffet, brunch board, right? right. I never was a fan. I remember hotel chef traveling the world had to do buffets in all these hotels. Never liked the idea. Always, I, I have to say, the only area I ever did it really amazingly well and incredibly well was the Mandarin Oriental, Hong Kong. But there, everything was individual on the buffets, right? From different yeah. soy dishes for creme brulee, like there was no slabs of cake and everything else like you traditionally have in your mind of what a buffet looks like. Sure. And, and for this, you know, we brought it back and it's been okay, but here goes where we are now with the reality of the numbers and looking at it now that I've got 12 months behind me and I can evaluate and look at these numbers. And I realized that Sunday brunch isn't really feasible anymore during really? this. No, it's not because at $37 a pop, you're looking at one of the challenges with the 50 count. I can't get over two and a half grand in sales. Right. I can't get because over of the, that. Because of the capacity restrictions. Exactly. So I'm just yeah. not getting there. So it's like, you know, and then also I'm on a reduced workforce, right? Um, How many people are still away from uh, working, like laid off? So I have currently right now, we, uh, so when we went into the pandemic shutdown, we were just exec suit, chef, myself, uh, Jillian, my wife as sales director overseeing our events and keeping that going, plus our accountant. So we were down to about a team and one server. So we were down to a team of around six from a high of around 26. Okay, that's pretty right? dramatic. Remember, most of my staff and one key component about Ottawa, Ottawa is very much a Friday, Saturday dining town. For sure. It, that's what it is. A lot of towns in Canada are like that. Uh, and that's what Ottawa certainly is. And because of that, most of my staff were either students or they had full-time jobs somewhere else and they would come and work for me on the weekend. Right. Because I do like out of the whole week, the majority of our revenue was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So pandemic reality sets in. OK, the world's tighter. Margins are tighter. How are you going to deal with this? OK, we all know great businesses that open up in bad times usually end up doing very, very well. So if you're pre-existing, sharpen your pen. Let's go. Here was the results for us. Monday and Tuesday, no longer viable, even in a post-pandemic world. So you closed totally. We're open Wednesday through Sunday. I that makes really sense. can't foresee myself going back to Mondays and Tuesdays. It'd literally be like six Mondays to get a, a, a guest count. Of six that makes total four. sense. Gone. Sunday brunch, gone. Replaced it. Ghost restaurant, Dirty Burger, reopens on uh, March the 19th. Can I do better than $2,000 a week with a ghost restaurant? I already have the number. 
it's a minimum of seven G's a week. And that's a minimum. That's not even once I get it building and get that's, that's great. Get the public. So it's like you kind of have to constantly keep evaluating what's what's what works. important and what doesn't work, right? Yeah. And, and you know, I was in for Sunday brunch. And, you know, it's hilarious, right? I announced that we were closing the brunch. So what did we do? We ended up doing 100 people for brunch. You know, the place was back. <laughs> you know, Just say was, that you're closing every week. Well, yeah, that was the one guest who, <laughs> who's super loyal. He said, he's like, you should do like, like Pink Floyd. Just keep exactly. announcing exactly that. Just do that. Yeah. Like, so, Michael, let me ask you, with, with all the changes that have happened due to the to the pandemic, are you worried about fine dining, you know, being able to to endure through through the next few years? Because, you know, it's one thing for a ghost kitchen and pickup and takeout and all of that. But fine dining is, is a little bit different. It's based on an experience and the atmosphere and everything else. Do you worry that maybe that's not going to bounce back as quickly as as we might hope? Um, you know. Having been in this industry for so long, I keep seeing cycles repeat themselves. Uh, naturally, this pandemic, the one thing that it created was a correction. And it did a correction that probably should have taken two years. It squeezed it into like literally a month and a half, right? It accelerated and, it, yeah. Yeah, and then there's this fallout where you're seeing it. I mean, we're seeing restaurants constantly closing down on a week-to-week -week basis. Even out here in Ottawa, we're seeing that go down. Um, I I think that the industry needs the reset. Uh, I do think that, unfortunately, not enough has been done to take care of the entire industry. And that's kind of a brutal, sad reality of it. Mm -hmm. Will fine dining eventually come back? I think it will come back. It's going to take time, though. Um, you do see, though, if you look across the country... Every every celebrated chef's either got a pizza, burger joint, or a crispy chicken joint going on. That's right. just so, it. Yeah. You see that with chefs casual. That you never expect. Yeah. Like, like um, um, Patrick Allo and uh, I mean, Patrick Chris at, in Allo, Toronto. I mean, he's doing booming burger business. Yeah. And, you know, his restaurant was very high end, fine dining. So it certainly has changed. Um, I don't think it's gone. I remember back when I was in, like, I'm talking like 89, 90, there was talk of the, you know, I was at Sky Dome at that time, and there was talk of saying goodbye to uh, fine dining. Jamie Kennedy joined yes. us as our chef, and there was all this talk that it would disappear, and it didn't. I mean, it came back even stronger. Everything is cyclic, you know, including aluminum pots and pans. They, <laughs> they, they, they come, they go, they come, they go. I, I would expect it will come back. The, it, you know, I'll, I'll share with you and, and this isn't, this isn't to be cruel to anybody, but in Ottawa, I came here in 2003. You couldn't even count the restaurants on two hands. We have so many restaurants of, uh, and I'm talking like the, the the explosion has been massive in the last five to six years. The correction is obviously going to leave us with, you know, I'm going to say it, true players. We're going to have people who are time tested and true and know how mm -hmm. to get these kinds of things. And then there are other players that are new on the scene that are just not going to have enough experience 
or, or wherewithal to get through these kinds of times. Um, there's a reason that these things exist. There's a reasons why this comes upon us. Um, you need to dive down and find creativity and find ways to make it work for yourself. Um, I do think that a lot of my luck has to do with my location. I don't think I would have had the success I've had if I was in the downtown core of Ottawa. I do think being in the suburbs is huge. People, like I don't, I I just started doing delivery for global tables. And honestly, it's a niche group of hardcore fans of mine that live on the other side of it, of, of Ottawa who want me to open up a next point mm -hmm. out there, right? So that's all I'm doing. But you know, that that that's probably the biggest reality set that's going to happen the dust will settle over the next two years it's going to be another two years before we see any kind of like i'm thinking next year summer we're going to start to see things come back to the way they used to be that i miss terribly having a dining room packed with people for sure i think oh, everybody like, misses that. that that's just that it's such a swelling of pride and achievement for you when you know you're going into a service and you're going to flip every table and you know we were doing that up right through till christmas right and then yeah. you know and then to see it kind of all fade away it's very um, sad it's a sad sad state of affairs that we're in um how are we going to get through there you know i think i think you just need to keep trying don't don't give up uh, i've had i've had things i've done that haven't worked out and I've stopped. And, you know, again, going back to it, right? When you're your own boss, the buck stops with you. And sometimes when you're independent, you can turn that gear really quickly, mm -hmm. right? Like, you can adapt quicker and, and respond. Yeah, I, and, I, and, and I really, I really, um, I, I, I just love that aspect of where I am in my life right now that I can just like turn it on and turn it off whatever I need to do. Well, it's amazing what you've been able to do. I mean, with the innovation and the creativity and that, you know, you're one of you're one of the few that has actually been able to do that. Because if you look at a lot of restaurants in your same kind of uh, segment, they haven't been able to do it as well. So so consider yourself uh, lucky. I know it's taken a lot of work, obviously, but um, as a way to wrap up, because I know our time is starting to run out. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned through this time? I mean, sounds like you've had a lot of lessons, but I, there must be one or two that stand out for you. Um, I think that uh, it's key fundamental is to listen to what your guests are saying. Um, that's always true and true in this industry. Um, you know, uh, remember, I come from hotel sector originally in my career. So lots of strat planning, lots of committees, lots of organization, lots of guest surveys. Uh, one of the fundamental things that I changed as a as a person in this industry and running my own facility is, and everybody knows this about me, if you come to Next Friday, Saturday night on the busy nights, and even some other nights too, but guaranteed Friday, Saturday, you're going to see me upstairs in the dining room, even during this pandemic, with my face mask on, coming to the table. You'll get the odd person and be like, and who are you? because <laughs> like i've got my chef uniform on you know yeah. totally fine i'm like oh i'm blackie i'm the pot washer how you doing <laughs> check in on you and see and you know and it's like I, I i you have to listen to what people are saying and that's probably 
some things that I've been told, like I was telling you the story about the uh, the brunch and how people didn't want it. And yes, I'm saying goodbye to brunch, but I'm saying goodbye to brunch because it's now a financial solution, right? It, it is really ultimately what it, 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 is, it has become for me is it's about a money game um, without ripping too much apart of what the base core of what next is all about. And, you know, some people are like, is it forever? And I'm like, well, no, it's not forever, but for now, yeah, I have to say goodbye to it as I focus on other things. Um, it's, it was hard uh, saying goodbye to a lot of my team. It felt as bad uh, in my heart as I remember the day I said goodbye to the team in Acapulco, Mexico to go from one end of the earth to the other. I was moving to Hong Kong and like, I, I couldn't do it. I, I had to walk out of the kitchen three times. And on the third time, I actually drove home to my apartment, which was like three minutes away, very close, executive housing on site. And I grabbed my atlas, you know, a book, Mm -hmm. a coffee table crusher and I brought it back because when I'm telling the cooks that I'm leaving for a new opportunity in my life in Hong Kong half of them you know uh, they're like don't don't they still Hong Kong they're like where is, <laughs> where is it yeah where is this place you know I'm like okay guys this is where we are and this is where I'm going and they're That's like look on their eyes you know they were like wow you're going to the other side of the earth I'm like yeah pretty much that's where I'm going. I mean, why would you do that and I'm like because it's fun it's exciting it's different right but the 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 same uh stress and anguish associated with letting people go at the beginning of that pandemic was just as prevalent for me um because you do have relationships you know um the diversity that we have in our kitchen uh ethnically people from all over the place from all over the world right sure. one of the cool things about here in ottawa is i have access to an international culinary program management program at algonquin college and currently right now i have i have five people in my kitchen we're starting to expand our team um and of the five one i recently sponsored Pratik, who's my sous chef, I sponsored him and he's now a papered Canadian. He's not. He's oh, isn't that fabulous? Canadian. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I'm an immigrant myself. I'm born in England and uh, not raised, raised in Canada, came over <laughs> in 67. But regardless, it's like, it's, it's, you know, I'm always going to have a soft spot uh, for people who are making and taking that risk and when you have to go through what we've gone through this last year you know it hasn't been easy um but it's really important that you embrace the most positive things that come out of it and hold on to that mourning is always an important thing as well to do you know uh i mean i lost my father just before the pandemic began oh, i'm sorry to hear that not due to COVID, due, just, you know, he was an, uh, much older. It was, there was another circumstances behind it. But, you know, you're like, wow, I, I've lost my father, you know, wow, this is it, you know, and then I, you know, and I'm a bit of a joker. My brother's four years older. I'm like, well, Greg, I guess you're next. And he's like, what? <laughs> Not what he wants to hear, I don't think, Michael. Oh, no, he gets my black satirical humor. We have a good <laughs> laugh about it all. And anyway, he's like, you know, and I'm like, well, listen, you know, it's you and me, bud. You and me, Craig, we got to, we got to, you know, keep the binds between us and keeping yeah, the circle of life. Yeah. I like, like one of my sous chefs, um, he actually was leaving 
on the 24th of March uh, and he was going to move on to a career aspiration. That all got put on hold. You know, I still maintain and keep in touch with many, many of these people that I've worked with over the years, but, you know, specifically like Sam, you know, he's been doing his own kind of thing for this last while, but I think the biggest, probably the biggest challenge that we are facing ourselves in this industry night right now, and I'm already feeling it, Rosanna, is trying to get staff to come back to work in this industry. Well, that will be a big um, issue because as a lot of people have left the industry, it's going to be really, really challenging to get them back. And, and even, you know, I was talking to some people the other day and they said even shutting down for a few months has made it really hard to even bring back people because you have to retrain them that they've lost a lot of what they normally would have during the period they were off. So even bringing them back is challenging from a training point of view because you have to almost restart from, from square one, right? Absolutely. We only had one person come back from our original team. Uh, everybody else is green. Uh, yeah. They're all first year or second year students in the culinary program at the school. And um, yeah, I mean, that is a full fundamental, but as I always say, and I say this too, I have my, I have an executive chef that works here, Matt Hall. And I always say to Matt, I said, Matt, you know what? Cold hands, warm heart. That's all you need. You've got a warm heart. You can warm those hands up. It's just a matter of patience, getting through it and you'll get there. And, um, you know, so it's, it, I can't tell you how many times I've trained people and, and there'll be a lot more of training going on because that's, fundamentally our responsibility as leaders in this industry is to continually train, inspire, motivate, and keep people moving in the right direction. And, you know, this too shall pass, this whole pandemic thing. We will have a very, very different world, um, but it is sad to see the amount of uh, professionals that have left the industry already. For sure, for sure. And you've really touched on a lot of key issues there, and I really appreciate um, your insights. And, it's been wonderful listening to you about your journey and everywhere that it's taken you and all the um, all the industry knowledge that you've gained over the years and how you apply that in your next operation. And uh, I want to wish you the best over the next few months as we get into this next stage of recovery, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, and hopefully we'll come out stronger on the other side. Absolutely. Well, Santa, it was an honor and a pleasure to chat with you today and uh, and to be part of your podcast. And, and I'm wishing you the best as well as we continue to plot along through this these crazy days. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Michael. And stay safe. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.